0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Civil service stores. He had much to learn yet about education. Twelve. But Oswald was still only face-to-face with the half of his responsibility. One morning he found Peter at the schoolroom table very busy cutting big letters out of white paper. Beside him was a long strip of turkey twill from the dressing-up box that the Inglenook had plagiarized from the Sheldricks. I'm getting ready for Joan, said Peter. I'm going to put welcome on this for over the garden gate, and there's to be a triumphal arch. Hitherto Peter had scarcely betrayed any interest in Joan at all. Now he seemed able to think of no one else, and Oswald found himself reduced abruptly from the position of centre of Peter's universe to a mere helper in the decorations but he was beginning to understand the small boy by this time and he took the withdrawal of the limelight philosophically when aunt phyllis and joan arrived they found the flagged path from the welcome gate festooned with chains of colored paper bought with peter's own pocket money and made by him and oswald with some slight assistance and much moral support from aunt phoebe in the evening to the door The triumphal arch had been achieved rather in the Gothic style by putting the movable badminton net-posts into a sort of trousering of assorted oriental cloths from the dressing-up chest, and crossing two heads of giant heracleum between them. Peter stood at the door in the white satin suit his innocent vanity loved. Among other roles it had served for Bassanio, Prince Hal, and Antony over the body of Caesar, with a face of extraordinary solemnity. Behind him stood Uncle Nobby. Joan, wasn't quite the joan that peter expected she was still wan from her illness and she had grown several inches she was as tall as he and she was white-faced so that her hair seemed blacker than ever and her eyes were big and lustrous she came walking slowly down the path with her eyes wide open there was a difference he felt in her movement as she came forward though he could not have said what it was there was more grace in joan now and less vigour but it was the same joan's voice that cried oh peter it's lovely She stood before him for a moment, and then threw her arms about him. She hugged him and kissed him, and Uncle Nobby knew that it was the smear of high Cross school that made him wriggle out of her embrace and not return her kisses. But immediately he took her by the hand. "'It's better in the playroom, Joan,' he said. "'All right, Joan, go on with him,' said Oswald, and came forward to meet Aunt Phyllis. Aunt Phoebe was on the staircase a little aloof from these things, as became a woman of intellect." And behind Aunt Phyllis came Mary, and behind Mary came the Limpsfield cabman with Aunt Phyllis's trunk upon his shoulder and demolished the triumphal arch. But Peter did not learn of that disaster until later, and then he did not mind. It had served its purpose. The playroom—it was the old nursery rechristened—was indeed better. It was all glorious with paper chains of green and white festooned from corner to corner. On the floor, to the right under the window, was every toy soldier that Peter possessed, drawn up in review array, a gorgeous new Scots grey band in the front that Oswald had given him. But that was nothing. The big armchair had been drawn out into the middle of the room, and on it was Peter's own lion-skin. And a piece of red stair-carpet had been put for Joan to go up to the throne upon, and beside the throne was a little table, and on the table was a tinsel robe from Clarkson's and a wonderful gilt crown and a sceptre. Oswald had brought them along that morning the crown is for you joan said peter the sceptre was bought for you little white-faced joan stood stockishly with the crown in one hand and the sceptre in the other put the crown on joan said peter it's yours it's a restoration ceremony but she didn't put it on it's lovely and it's lovely whispered joan in a sort of rapture and stared about her incredulously with her big dark eyes it was home again home and Mrs. Pybus had passed like an evil dream in the night. She had never really believed it possible before that Mrs. Pybus could pass away. Even while Aunt Phyllis and Mary had been nursing her, Mrs. Pybus had hovered in the background, like something more enduring, waiting for them to pass away as inexplicably as they had come. Joan had heard the whining voice upon the stairs every day, and always while she was ill, and once Mrs. Pybus had come and stood by her bedside, and remarked, like one who maintains an argument, She'll be happy enough here when she's better again. No more Mrs. Pybus, no more whining scoldings, no more unexpected slaps and having to go to bed supperless, no more measles and uneasy misery in a bed with grey sheets, no more dark dreadful sayings that lurked in the mind like jungle beasts. She was home, home with Peter, out of that darkness. And yet outside was the darkness still. Joan, said Peter, trying to rouse her, THERE'S A CAKE LIKE A BIRTHDAY FOR TEA!" When Oswald came in she was still holding the gilt crown in her hand. She let Peter take it from her and put it on her head, still staring incredulously about her. She took the sceptre limply. Peter was almost gentle with this strange staring Joan. 13. For some days Oswald regarded Joan as a grave and thoughtful child. She seemed to be what country people call old-fashioned. She might have been a changeling he did not hear her laugh once and she followed peter about as if she was his shadow then one day as he cycled over from Chastlin's, he heard a strange tumult proceeding from a little field on master's farm a marvellous mixture of familiar and unfamiliar sounds an uproar wonderful as though a tinker's van had met a school-treat and the twain had got drunk together the source of this row was hidden from him by a little coppice and he dismounted and went through the wood to investigate joan and peter had discovered a disused cowshed with a sloping roof of corrugated iron and they had also happened upon an abandoned kettle and two or three tin cans they were now engaged in hurling these latter objects on to the resonant roof down which they rolled thunderously only to be immediately returned joan was no longer a slip of pensive dignity peter was no longer a marvel of intellectual curiosities they were both shrieking their maximum oswald had never before suspected joan of an exceptionally full voice nor peter of so vast a wealth of gurgling laughter keep the pot a boilin yelled joan keep the pot a boilin who cried peter who go it joan "Wow!" and then to crown the glory the kettle burst it came into two pieces that was too perfect the two children staggered back each seized a half of the kettle and kicked it deliberately then they rolled away and fell on their stomachs amidst the grass, kicking their legs in the air. But the spirit of rowdyism grows with what it feeds upon. "'Oh, let's do something really awful!' cried Joan. "'Let's do something really awful, Peter!' Peter's legs became still and stiff with interrogation. "'Oh, Peter!' said Joan. "'If I could only smash a window! "'Throw a brick! for a real window! "'A big glass window! "'Just one glass window!' where's a window said peter evidently in a highly receptive condition from which pitch of depravity oswald roused him by a prod in the back fourteen but after that joan changed rapidly colour crept back into her skin and a faintly rollicking quality into her bearing she became shorter again and visibly sturdier and her hair frizzed more and stuck out more her laugh and her comments upon the world became an increasingly frequent embroidery upon the quiet of the ingle-nook she seemed to have a delusion that peter was just within earshot but only just oswald wondered how far her recent experiences had vanished from her mind he thought they might have done so altogether until one day joan took him into her confidence quite startlingly he was smoking in the little arbour and she came and stood beside him so noiselessly that he did not know she was there until she spoke she was holding her hands behind her and she was regarding the south downs with a pensive frown She was paying him the most beautiful compliment she had come to consult him. Mrs. Pybus said, she remarked, that everyone who doesn't believe there's a God goes straight to hell. I don't believe there's a God, said Joan, and Peter knows there isn't. For a moment Oswald was a little taken aback by this simple theology. Then he said, do you think Peter's looked everywhere, Joan? Then he saw the real point at issue one thing you may be sure about joan he said and that is that there isn't a hell which is rather a pity in its way because it would be nice to think of this mrs pybus of yours going there but there's no hell at all there's nothing more dreadful than the dreadful things in life there's no need to worry about hell that he thought was fairly conclusive but joan remained pensive with her eyes still on the distant hills Then she asked one of those unanswerable children's questions that are all implication, imputation, assumption, misunderstanding, and elision. "'But if there isn't a hell,' said Joan, "'what does God do?' 15. It was after Joan had drifted away again from these theological investigations that Oswald, after sitting some time in silence, said aloud and with intense conviction— I LOVE THESE CHILDREN. He was no longer a stranger in England. He had a living anchorage. He looked out over the autumnal glories of the weald, dreaming intentions. THESE CHILDREN MUST BE EDUCATED. THEY MUST BE EDUCATED SPLENDIDLY. Oswald wanted to see Peter serving the Empire. The boy would have pluck, he had already the loveliest brain, and a sense of fun. And Joan? Oswald was perhaps not quite so keen in those days upon educating Joan. That was to come later. After all, the empire, indeed the whole world of mankind, is made up of Jones and Peters. What the empire is, what mankind becomes, is nothing but the sum of what we have made of the Jones and Peters. End of section thirteen. Read by Eli Bishop, San Francisco, December third, two thousand twenty one.